contains grim descriptions of graphic content intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Sims, and we're back with another one. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Gore Report, a true crime podcast. <laughs> the one and only reports of gore. Yes, and we hope that you're having a good day and, and a, a good, good week and a good life. I sounded so off key. I'm very sorry. We are. Are we ever really on key, though? I don't know. I don't think we are. I don't are. think I've ever paid attention to it, but today my brain was like, um, no. All of the things that we are All on key, we are not. <laughs> so we don't have a lot of business to announce in this episode. I would like to say we did get a new Gorgoat this week. Yeah. So a big thank you to... Macy! Yay! Yay! Oh, fast napping for you, love. Thank you so much for becoming an official Gorgoat that makes our hearts so happy. I just, I can't even express how much I appreciate it. I do want to take a quick second and say, oh my God, you guys, thank you so much for messaging us and emailing us. The sheer influx of messages that we have received here lately has been so crazy it really has been insane like i hardly know what to do with it we've gotten messages from australia from poland the czech republic from the netherlands canada like it it is absolutely insane that that many people all across the world are listening to our show that just it's absolutely mind-boggling to me so thank you so much and we love you and we will always love you but only if you consent to it, of course. Cause consent is important. Yeah. Oh, the goblin is coming out. So I do have an announcement about today's case, uh, because I know last week I said that today was going to be a things that keep me up at night episode. But in researching this particular case, because this is truly an episode that has kept me up at night. Right, right. But I felt that with the certain criteria I keep for my miniseries, I felt that it would be extremely disrespectful to include this case under my miniseries. That also being said, we've been working on knocking out some of these cases on our request list, and I initially thought that I could cover a case someone requested and also make it a Things That Keep Me Up at Night episode, Two Birds and One Stone kind of thing. But the further I got into researching this case, I just didn't feel right about it. Right, right. So it is business as usual today, and I will air another episode of Things That Keep Me Up at Night at another time. But today's episode was requested by Rin. Yay, hello Rin. And I hope that you guys enjoy the coverage, because I went to the dips, the very dips. And that is not a pun, and you will see what I mean in a minute. Oh my goodness. But a 21-year-old college student from Canada stayed at the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles and vanished without a trace. Oh, shit. 
Her body was found three weeks later floating inside the water tank on the roof of the hotel. Whoa, we, I don't really know this one. Like, I know the case, but knowing you and the way that you've done it, I can just pretty much say that I don't know anything about it. This is going to be very interesting. Now, despite having the chilling recordings of her on surveillance, no one knows what actually happened to her. This mystery has never been fully solved, and multiple theories have emerged since her death. Today, we will be talking about Elise Lamb. Oh, goodness. All right. I'm, I'm ready. Elisa Lam, also known by her Cantonese name, Lam Ho Yi, was born on April 30th, 1991 in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to parents David and Yina Lam. I'll be calling her Lam because that is part of her name in either name, and I would like to respect both of those names at the same time. So her family immigrated from Hong Kong in hopes of a successful life, and they opened a restaurant in Burnaby, British Columbia. Now, she had one sister named Sarah, and according to reports, they were very close, as they both shared an intense love for all things fashion. They would always seek each other out whenever they needed or wanted to talk about this shared interest, and Lam was described as an ambitious but caring and kind individual that attended the University of British Columbia. She was a hard-working student that didn't get involved in smoking, drinking, or drugs of any kind. She was also supporting the community and volunteering. She also was battling her mental health and would speak out on it often. Gotcha, gotcha. She had no issues expressing herself about this topic as her family and friends said she was very outgoing, lively, and very friendly. Now, sometime in mid-2010, Lamb started a blog named Ether Fields on Blogspot. God, do you remember Blogspot? I don't, actually. I had to scan my brain for a second. I don't think I'm familiar with that, but I am a whole decade younger than you, so... So over the next two years, she posted pictures of models wearing fashionable clothing and she would also make posts of things going on in her life, particularly her thoughts and feelings she experienced while she struggled with mental illness. Now the following was posted on her blog and I'm including this because it helped me gain some insight on what she was dealing with before this happened to her. Okay. She says, quote, depression sucks. I have no control over my emotions. I'll be angry for two minutes and then sad again. I'll be happy for half an hour and then emotional again. So far, all I've done is lay on my bed and watch episodes of Chopped. I'm just waiting for it to pass. I haven't felt fine in over three years. This relapse makes me feel as though I haven't made any progress at all. I'm not sure why I'm being so candid about my depression, but I suppose if someone else who has depression reads this, we can feel less alone. I have only told a few people. Unfortunately, in the last three weeks, most of these persons have disappointed me. I have severe trust issues, I think. Nobody is infallible. I thought I chose friends carefully, but turns out, not really. But really, my behavior is pathetic. Reading about Dal Kim, listening to MCR, it's as though I'm imitating myself from 2007. Next, I'll be wearing studs and guitar earrings. <laughs> I just wish... Someone around me could understand what it really means to be depressed. You know the internet is where people express themselves, but everyone complains. So when there's a serious complaint, a serious plea for help, for sympathy, it goes unnoticed. 
Most people just dismiss it as a plea for attention. We aren't heartless. It's just so many have grown immune and desensitized. I'm desensitized from reading things like this being told over and over again. And I'm sure that she posted a photo to go along with it, but I was unable to find the rest of the post. Um, but she finishes this out by saying, just so much pain. It's pretty bad, this relapse, though. Tumblr and Colbert aren't helping, and I always thought they would remind me this world is capable of greatness. Nope. Still numb. End quote. Wow. Yeah. That's that's heavy. It's, it's pretty heavy. Like, she yeah, was battling with it yeah, pretty, definitely. pretty bad. In a post from January 2012, she posted, quote, I feel I'm wasting my time compared to my fellow peers. I had a relapse at the start of the term and had to drop two of the three courses I was taking, end quote. She also mentioned in the blog that she was trying to stay away from blogging, calling her fashion interest a frivolity and admitting that it had become a distraction. She continued on to say she felt, quote, so utterly directionless and lost, end quote. She titled this post as, quote, you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life, end quote, which was a quotation from a novelist named Chuck Palahniuk. So two years after she began her Ether Fields blog, she started a new Tumblr blog named Nouveau Nouveau. The content of this blog was centered around fashion, inspirational quotes, and personal reflections of her life. It appeared as though she was trying to chase the things that made her happy while working on herself. However, the quote from Chuck Palahniuk remained as this blog's epigraph, like a constant reminder to herself and others that she didn't feel she was living her life to the fullest. Oof. Fuck, that's heavy. So throughout this blog... There were tiny indications that she was still deeply troubled due to her struggle, posting quotes such as, Depression sucks. If someone says to you that they have depression, don't ask why. There is no why. Tell them every day you love them. Remind them every day it will get better. And then there's this one that reads, Your mental health is more important than your GPA. I mean, that's true, It's though. true. Very true. Another one reads, I wish I could put part of my brain into a tape shut box and shove it into the back of my closet for the night. So this poor girl is like really going through it, but she's trying, you know? Right, right. So as a side note, her blog spot and Tumblr pages are still active, but it took some digging to find posts because some people have reported that her pages have been wiped of her content. Interesting. Yeah, I, d I didn't understand that either. I actually had to go to a third-party website in order to get the post. Right, right. That's odd, though. So Lam was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and her post touched on this very often. She also revealed that she was on medication to try to manage her symptoms. One source said that she was known for not keeping up with her medication regimen, which would result in her experiencing hallucinations. And these episodes would be so intense that she was hospitalized at one point. She had hallucinations so bad that she hid underneath her bed to try to get away from it or, like, end it. That is so sad. When you hear about this case, or at least in the little bits of coverage that I've heard of this, because I haven't dove way deep into it like I have other cases... But this is an aspect of it that you hardly ever hear, or I've never really heard spoke about is her mental health and how 
just bad it was and kind of like you know the trenches that she was in like you don't really hear that you don't really hear people bring that up and we will go into that into more depth as we go along because that was definitely something that bothered the fuck out of me gotcha i got i just thought that was really interesting because we're only eight or ten minutes into this and i'm already like holy fucking shit i had no idea this is just a layer that you don't hear being talked about i think that's wild but you know i'm gonna let you do your thing you can continue (laughs) now this was a recent diagnosis for her and i myself have been diagnosed and had these exact same issues so i should mention that when you're not used to having to take multiple medications on a daily basis it is difficult for some of us to keep up with it sometimes takes others a little longer to get used to this type of routine and speaking from experience when you have multiple things going on in your life that you're so stressed over taking meds is the last thing on your mind until you realize you're seeing shit that isn't there (laughs) right Then you're like, oh shit, maybe I should take my fucking meds and fix this. But I I do also want to note that even though she was struggling, her family, who normally kept her mental health status private, revealed that she never displayed any signs, warnings, or attempts of suicidal tendencies. Gotcha. Now, there was a mention of a past report where she had gone missing one time prior to her death, but I couldn't find anything to confirm that, so... That's where the end of that thread goes. But stress was an ultimate factor in her life at this moment. Lamb often posted about her lack of motivation and missing out on her studies because of her mental health relapses. And she was worried that her school transcript would look suspicious because of how many withdrawals she had to take for her mental health. She thought that it would ruin her chances to continue her studies and attend graduate school, which is like really fucking sad because when you're dealing with something that important, like your brain, right, right, uh, um, I, I think you should concentrate on that first and not worry so much on school. Right. I mean, I agree with you. It's like you said, mental health is definitely more important than a GPA. Right. I 100% agree with that. So. so I should mention that at the time of her death, she was not a registered student. So it appears that she pulled out of school completely until she could get things in order. So she wanted to change things up, go on a trip, have an adventure. She always wanted to travel, and this was going to be a journey of self-discovery and independence. So she planned a trip to America and planned out several places she wanted to stop along in California. She wanted to immerse herself in the history, the culture, the lifestyles of these locations, and one of these stops would be at the Cecil Hotel a location that would make Lamb infamous around the world. Oh, man. I don't like where this is going. (laughs) I don't like it. Now, no one knows how she came to learn about the hotel. It's believed that due to its location in downtown Los Angeles and its affordability, this was most likely what she considered to be a feasible way to experience L.A. to the fullest without damaging her funds too much. So her exact itinerary is unknown because I I feel like she was just kind of flying by the seat of her pants pretty much. But she started in San Diego and had planned to end the trip in Santa Cruz. 
Her family was extremely nervous about her traveling by herself, but she was determined to take this trip on her own. She was in desperate need of a reset period to kind of get her mind right and reevaluate her situation outside from the things that were stressing her out. So they did come up with a compromise. She could go by herself, but she had to call them every single day to check in and let them know that she was safe. Fair. Which is honestly a great plan, but I don't usually like traveling long distances by myself unless I'm visiting family. So, my dear friends, unless you have to travel alone, please try to travel in groups. You need to have an exit buddy. An exit buddy. Like, the world is getting crazy out there and we need all of our people safe, okay? Right. Like, lock your your fucking doors. (laughs) Travel, Lock your car doors. Travel with a buddy. Always check the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> the trunk, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. This podcast has absolutely destroyed my brain. Same. Same, like, same, same. Any sense of security I have is just like gone all the time. But she did keep to this promise to update her parents regularly, and it created a routine between them. So if anything went wrong and she didn't call, they would know something was up. And this is such a smart plan, in my opinion, because we all know, especially on this podcast, that sometimes phone calls are so important. Right. Uh, Goodness gracious, amongst many other things. I mean, like with us, I let you know when I'm on the way and when I make it home and I let my family know the plan always. Right, right. So someone is always aware of my movements. So if you're not doing this already, find a way to implement it. Like life is crazy right now and we want you to be safe anyway. Moving on. <laughs> so I, I'm, I emphasize that with great love and great care. Okay. Lock your doors. <laughs> Ooh. So while in California, Lamb got to experience what she was craving traveling independently with eyes full of curiosity and a heart full of determination. She rode the Amtrak and inner city buses through San Diego, where she also visited the San Diego Zoo. And she took the time to post photos on her social media to share this fun experience. Like she was basically posting photos, talking about her day, the usual. So Lamb arrived in Los Angeles on January 26, 2013. She went online and booked a shared dormitory room at the Cecil Hotel from January 28th to the 31st. Now, this hotel has a lot of history, as well as some infamous guests. Oh. The hotel opened its doors on December 20th, 1924, with business travelers and tourists in mind. It was built, or funded to be built, by three men named William Banks Hanner, Charles L. Dix, and Robert H. Shocks. Now, they invested a whopping total of $2.5 million into completing this hotel. Whoa-wee, that's a chunk of change. Especially at that time. That is a chunk of change. Do you know how many five-star Genshin characters I could buy with that? Bitch. I would have, <laughs> I would be unstoppable. If any of you play Genshin, then, you know, if you know, you know. <laughs> so this hotel is reportedly a 14-story hotel, although I did see where some sources claim it's a 15-story hotel. Now, this hotel has... 700 guest rooms and 301 suites it's freaking huge it has a beautiful marble lobby with stained glass windows potted palms and an alabaster statuary now i've included a photo of the lobby 
It's insanely beautiful and certainly a reflection of the opulent vision it was during its time. But now people just get a creepy vibe from the hotel and after everything I'm about to go into, I can certainly see why. Its proximity to the train system made the Cecil a popular place as it was also located amongst restaurants, theaters, shops, and the Spring Street Financial District. And for a time, business was booming. Now the hotel fell on hard times just five years after opening because of the Great Depression in the 1930s. Now by the 1940s, it seemed to be a fashionable place to stay and for a time the hotel was flourishing. But this too would seem to be short-lived as the hotel continued to decline beyond that time period. Now its proximity to downtown Skid Row, which has also been around since the 30s, impacted the hotel's business. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Skid Row, I'm going to explain some stuff to you. I might get on a soapbox, but I'm going to keep it as brief as I can. But it is an area that covers 50 city blocks inhabited by a condensed homeless population. Now, by the 1930s, Skid Row was home to as many as 10,000 homeless people. And today, it's believed to be around 15,000 or more. Now, there is rich history surrounding Skid Row online concerning how it came to be and the city's involvement. But being homeless or unhoused is a major issue for many. It's a major issue in the U.S. And I personally feel it's not by fault of the people who end up being homeless. I absolutely agree. But it is a spreading sickness in this country that feasibly could be remedied. Now, I'm not going to get political, but I do have strong feelings on this. Being in a country where a minority of wealthy people sit on their millions upon millions, they don't give back to their communities, they invest, quote-unquote, invest their money on things that do not contribute to the betterment of society, wasting thousands of dollars on things they don't even use, like a handbag, for example. They show a complete lack of humanity and look down their nose toward anyone struggling or in need or anyone working a menial job. I agree. Yay, capitalism and the Great Pyramid Scheme. Woohoo! Right, and in fact, a lot of these people backstab their families, friends, and colleagues to get ahead, and a lot of them run our government. So this outlook on life trickles down throughout our economy from the caste system that they have created, and a lot of us poor folk... A lot of us po' folk struggle to keep up with this system that drains you financially, mentally, emotionally, and physically, just like an abuser. Ooh, the tea is being spilt today. You could have literally everything, and in the blink of an eye, you could lose everything. And this happens to so many people around the world. We have a severe homelessness epidemic, and we also have housed families that can't even afford to eat. So housing, clothing, food, those are all base level needs that we all have and we all have a right to. And the fact that people are being ticketed and arrested for temporarily housing, clothing, and feeding people in need of help is a major issue that I feel needs to be brought to light, discussed more, and challenged because it's not right. So we have always said that we wanted to use our platform in a meaningful way. And while researching this, it's always mentioned how Skid Row is full of homeless people, crime, drugs, and the area is dangerous and stuff. But I didn't want to leave it at that. A lot of people that I have personally met has had to resort to some not so savory things to get by, survive, or even cope with their situation. 
Right. And these people are more than just statistics or some prop on the side of the road or some small piece in someone's story. And our own society slash government perpetuates the problem. So I found out in my research that hospitals and law enforcement were dumping homeless people in Skid Row as recently as 2005. Wow. Now, I was shocked to find that out, but I'm going to move on now. If you listened to all of that and didn't skip it, thank you for sticking around to be part of the conversation and, you know, hearing me out. Because it really bothers me. And I'm very passionate about helping the homeless and not for clout. So Skid Row's long history of police raids, city initiatives, and advocacy has made it one of the most notable districts in Los Angeles. Now, over time, being in this type of situation around the economy, around the community, the hotel lost its luster, and to compensate for the lack of extended-stay middle-class customers, they started charging by the hour, basically becoming a low-income budget hotel or rooming house. Now, the Cecil Hotel eventually became a hotspot for illicit activities, violence, and death, resulting in 16 sudden or unexplained deaths on the property, including Elisa Lamb. Amy Price, who was the manager at the hotel from 2007 to 2017, said she had to call the police multiple times a day and believed there were over 80 deaths during her tenure. 80? 80. Now, an anonymous former police officer said, quote, when I was on patrol there, you could expect one to three calls a day from the Cecil, end quote. My God. Now, the hotel also gained notoriety as two serial killers stayed at the hotel. Oh, you don't say. And which two? Richard Ramirez. Ooh, ooh, I hate Richard Ramirez. Also ooh. known as the Night Stalker. He <laughs> stayed at the hotel. I can't stand Richard Ramirez, no. He stayed at the hotel on the 14th floor in room 1419. And sometime during the middle of his killing spree in 84 and 85, he stayed there. That is absolutely insane. Yep, never going to the Cecil. Now, never ever. Johann Jack Untenweger also spent time at the Cecil Hotel around 1990 to 1991. Another notable mention is Elizabeth Short. An infamous murder victim known as the Black Dahlia. Uh-huh. Oh, my. She stayed at the Cecil? Well, let me, let, me, let me clarify. Elizabeth allegedly visited the bar at the hotel before she disappeared, but there's no evidence to support that claim. Gotcha. Gotcha. Her body was found five miles away from the Cecil Hotel. Holy shit. Right. Just five miles away. And there's rumors that she was at the bar. But, you know, we'll get into that in another time. So to separate themselves from the past, they changed the name of the Cecil Hotel to Stay on Main in 2011. I should also mention that the hotel is interesting because it had been partially converted from the infamous Cecil Hotel. Stay on Main was kind of run like its own entity as the hotel was separated into three wings. Even though the actual Cecil Hotel still exists, the Stay on Main portion of the hotel had its own lobby, but it still shared the elevators and other amenities associated with the Cecil Hotel. It's confusing. I'm not getting a good vibe trying to explain it. <laughs> because you can confuse people with the name and everything else, but it doesn't change the fact that the actual building still exists and has a history that made it to where no one will ever forget the actual name. 
Right, goodness gracious. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work like that. <laughs> we may get confused and forget shit, but with a title like Most Haunted Hotel in the World, I'm sorry, man, but the name of the hotel is going down in history. Right, right. The popular show, Ghost Adventures, even did a two-hour episode on the Cecil Hotel in 2020 with Zach Bagans, and I can't believe I'm quoting him on this episode, but but stick with me. It'll all make sense. But Zach Bagans said, quote, it doesn't get bigger or more sinister than this, end quote. He also admitted to People Magazine that Elisa Lamb's death stuck with him throughout the years, and she was the reason he was drawn to the hotel. Wow, okay, okay. He also said, quote, I wanted to try to explore the theory that she may have been influenced by something some kind of dark entity, possibly conjured by a serial killer like Richard Ramirez, who was said to have done rituals on the very roof where they discovered her body, end quote. That is absolutely fucking chilling. And I don't mean to, like, not be serious right now, but, like, my brain, you were <laughs> quoting Zach Bagans. I know where you're All going I could this. hear you say was, uh, uh, yeah, and Zach said, quote, my name is Zach, and I never believed in ghosts <laughs> until... <laughs> I never used to believe in ghosts until I came face to face with one. I've, that's all I heard in my brain when you said that. We it have just spent like, years working on our credibility. <laughs> it just absolutely killed me. I can't. Like, I can't with Ghost Adventures. Oh, Zach Baggins, if you're listening to this, I'm totally not making fun of you. Please don't sue us. <laughs> Sincerely, Goal Report, a true crime podcast. Right. Now, they were the first paranormal team to be allowed to investigate the property. And they even tried to retrace Elisa Lamb's step to either capture something paranormal, raise unasked questions, or gain a better understanding in what might have happened as her case is shrouded in mystery, remains unsolved to this day, and is heavily surrounded by theories that somehow something paranormal happened. And we'll touch on some of those theories later, but that is exactly the reason why I'm telling you all the particulars of the hotel now. So when we get into the theories later, it will all make sense because this hotel is known to be one of the most haunted hotels in the world. Oh, and God. a lot of people believe that that plays a factor into her death. Oh, I got like, do you see over here? My little chicken lady. Oh, shit. Workman's comp, press two. Workman's comp, press two. <laughs> I got chicken legs. Now, multiple cases of suicide, overdose, murder, and satanic rituals are the forefront of people's minds when they think about the Cecil. But if you believe in the paranormal like we do, you might not be surprised to find out that paranormal or unexplained activity has been reported on the property. The Ghost Adventures team experienced physical afflictions, including unexplained scratches and some of the most frightening and compelling audio and visual evidence they've ever captured. Zach was investigating the room where Jack Unterweger stayed and witnessed the water faucet in the bathroom turn on by itself. Nope, that'd be a fuck no for me. And he also said that this was not a water faucet that has a sensor on it. Like, you actually have to turn the knob. Yeah, see, I'm not with that. We're not even through this episode, and I can already tell you one thing that I've came to the conclusion of. I'm never going to the Cecil. Me neither. I will never go. I have not one care to see it, not one care to explore it. I'm I'm good. Unless I want to lose my asshole completely. But if that's and the never case, find it again. But if that's the case, just listen to our show. I mean true. Similar effect. <laughs> 
People have reportedly heard screaming inside the hotel in the middle of the night. The elevator that Elisa Lam was last seen in has also been operating on its own, as I have seen videos of it taking people to random floors without touching any buttons. And the doors will open and close repeatedly with no one in sight. No. See, that's a no. That's a no. That's just a big no. I reached out to one TikToker, Chris Starr, in hopes of gaining her permission to use some footage she took at the Cecil regarding Elisa Lamb in our digital dump to show you guys, and she agreed. Yay, thank you, Chris. So we will be including two of her videos for you to view, and links to her YouTube and TikTok will be provided in the show notes. Maybe we could all go show her some love on her pages, maybe? And also thank her for sharing in the comments. Just, just, you know, spread some love. (laughs) Yes, spread all the love. Now, Chris is also into the paranormal, and she's done investigations at the locations like the Cecil. Mm -hmm. In one of her videos, she was on the 14th floor, and she simply walks by the elevator that Lamb was in, and the doors open with no one inside. They didn't touch anything, no nothing. It just showed up and opened. What the fuck? Now, they questioned why the elevator was even coming and waited to see if anyone was in it. There was literally no one inside. There was no one inside this elevator, and I got extremely uncomfortable out of nowhere. But um, now we could attribute all of these elevator occurrences with electrical issues, but that is just creepy. I don't fuck with that shit because I believe in it. I just don't like it. Can't say that I like it. Now, in the other video, she's using a spirit box device. And if you don't know what a spirit box is by now, maybe you should watch some Ghost Adventures because they tell you every episode. (laughs) Uh, It's one of our favorite bands. (laughs) It is one of our favorite bands. But uh, they're using this box and you can clearly hear Elisa Lamb's name come through. No way. The full name, Elisa Lamb. What? Yeah. Oh, that's fucking weird. That is weird. Now, they were investigating room 506. They also visited the rooms of Richard Ramirez and Jack Unterweger. I'll only be including two of her videos, but I would recommend checking out her content for sure because these videos hella made me uncomfortable, like, big time. Big time. Oh, man. Now, continuing on. Other people that stayed at the hotel claim they felt strange forces or energies that pushed them to do unforgivable things. As an example, in 1944, 19-year-old Dorothy Purcell was sharing a room at the hotel with her boyfriend. Now, she woke up in the middle of the night with intense stomach pains, unaware that she was pregnant, and not wanting to wake up her boyfriend. She ended up giving birth in the bathroom. Now... Believing the baby to be dead, she threw this baby out the window. Oh, my God. Now, it did come out that she also was struggling with mental health issues. I just think that's something to note. Got you. Okay, that... Deaths are still occurring at this hotel to this very day. And in a matter of five minutes of scrolling through TikTok during researching... There were reports of multiple suicides, such as hanging or jumping, and dead bodies being removed from their rooms. What the fuck? There's no doubt something strange going on with this hotel, but is it truly the paranormal? Or can these instances just be chalked up 
to life experiences seasoned generously with coincidence. It definitely makes me wonder. Now, since we're talking about the hotel, this is a fun kind of morbid fact. Uh, American Horror Story Hotel was inspired by the Cecil Hotel. Oh, yeah. I actually read that because given you've delivered a history lesson way beyond what I ever knew about the Cecil. But I did know that that season was based off of that. I did read that. That's pretty cool. So as one more side note before we get into her actually being at the hotel... I do want to mention that stalking is one of the theories about this case, and I wanted to share what she posted January 27th, 2013, which was just one day before she arrived at the Cecil. Now, she expressed online that she was apparently receiving unwanted attention from men during her travels and wrote, quote, I'm going out tonight. I really hope no creeper comes near me. Seriously, though, those Italian and Mexican guys go after you strong. End quote. My goodness. Now, I may have forgot to mention that she also posted her itinerary plans and everything that she was doing online, which is never a good idea. Right, right. That can be very unsafe, depending. Right. So if you got one one person online with some not so good intentions and they're following everything that you're doing... That's not good. No, definitely not good. not good. Not good. So when January 28th, 2013 came, Lamb checked into the Cecil Hotel and was assigned her share room on the hotel's fifth floor. Now, according to the court deposition of Amy Price, she shared hotel records in this deposition, and she says that Lamb was assigned to the shared room in 506B. But due to odd and disruptive behavior, she was moved to another room that would be just her room. Now, many sources cite 506B as the private room she was later assigned to, but this is coming from actual records and someone who was actually there, so I don't know. According to one source, Lamb was writing notes like, get out and go home, and placing them on her roommate's beds. And she also allegedly locked the roomies out of the room and was demanding that they provide a password to be let back in. So I don't think that I have to mention that there was never a conversation between these women sharing the room about any form of password system to get into the room that they all equally paid their share to be in. Right. None of this was a conversation. So this is just highlighting just a little bit of the odd behavior once she got there. But one poster on Reddit brought up an interesting point. And I felt it was an important question to ask. Why was she moved to another room on the day she was scheduled to leave? Now, according to Amy Price's deposition and the hotel records, Lamb was moved on January 31st, 2013 to a private room on the same floor. She only booked her stay from the 28th to the 31st. And although Detective Wallace Tunnell said she had paid to stay an extra day in his deposition, there's no mention of this in hotel records provided in Amy's deposition. So I thought this was something interesting to include. There's no clear determining fact of whether she did pay for an extra night, and the hotel was probably just trying to calm down a situation between guests, no matter how many more days she had. So, I mean, logically, that seems to make sense to me. And Amy Price did go on to testify that she witnessed Lamb acting strangely in the lobby the day before she disappeared. 
Now, as part of her California vacation and experience, Lamb decided to sit in on a live taping of the Conan O'Brien television show in Burbank, California, just a few days prior to her death. She documented being there on her Facebook and Tumblr, but mentioned nothing of what happened next. She had written what's being described as a rambling letter, which has never been released. No one knows what was on it. It may have just simply ended up in the trash. But she became obsessed with getting this letter to Conan. No one goes into detail about what she was doing, but she was removed from the audience due to her disruptive behavior. Wow. They basically deemed her to be a danger to the other audience members, so she was escorted out of the studio and off the premises by security. So everyone has been asking, what had she written in that letter and why was she so hell-bent on delivering it? That's so strange. It doesn't make sense, really. I mean, not with the information we have thus far, that doesn't make sense, but it's, it's a question to ask. I don't know. Well, I've only included that. Because that's literally all there is about that one certain instance. Gotcha. Nothing going forward explains that at all other than struggling with mental illness. Gotcha, gotcha. Amy Price also mentioned there was an instance where Lamb came into the lobby one night during her stay and made the comment, I'm crazy, but so is L.A. Not, Not wrong. I was uh, okay. All right. I don't really know what to do with that. LA is certainly crazy. I I can I can only imagine. But on the day of her disappearance, January thirty first, twenty thirteen, there were people who saw her and interacted with her. Now, one of the last people to see her alive was Katie Orphan. Now, she's the owner of a bookstore located next to the Cecil Hotel, and ironically enough, the name of this place is called the Last Bookstore. The look you just gave me. Exactly. (laughs) I don't like it. Now, Katie told CBS LA that she remembered seeing her buying books and music for her family. She was quoted saying, quote, it seemed like she had plans to return home, plans to give things to her family members and reconnect with them, end quote. Katie went on to tell CNN, quote, she was talking about what book she was getting and whether or not what she was getting would be too heavy for her to carry around as she traveled, end quote. So that's basically how she came to that conclusion that she did intend to make it back home or at least to keep traveling. Now, many speculate that Lamb killed herself, but why would you go buy books just before committing suicide and discussing travel and the weight of a book during that traveling? Now, this theory just doesn't make sense, and her family also expressed that she never gave any indication of suicidal tendencies. Which, that can go either way. I can't really say definitively how I feel about that, because a lot of people that do commit suicide don't show signs. Right. There is none of that. Like, there's so many stories I've heard and things that I've read where someone seems like the happiest, most fulfilled, full-of-life person Mm -hmm. And then they do it and no one knows. Right. Because that, you know, so it's kind of hard based on that to say, you know, because she didn't show, quote unquote, show that she was feeling that way that she didn't. I don't really know how to feel about that because a lot of people don't show it. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm also going off of the examples of like people who are planning to commit suicide. A lot of times they will just give away their possessions or like get rid of their possessions. Right. And that happens too. And I still take into account 
the validity of her family's testimony because obviously they knew her. Right. They knew her better than any of us know her. So, I mean, for them to say that, that definitely has weight. I was more or less just making that point that looking for that type of evidence in someone is not always the most accurate way to go about it because you just truly at the end of the day individuals are individuals Mm -hmm. you ultimately won't know what's going through someone's mind you know what i'm saying i totally agree with that yeah now i'm also going to use this opportunity to bring up another thing that's being talked about a lot now detective tonnell said in his deposition that security footage showed lamb entering the lobby of the cecil hotel with two men carrying a box the men gave her the box and then they left Now, everyone on the internet is asking, who were these guys? What did they want? What was in the box? Well, according to one source, these two men accompanied her from the last bookstore. The box had supposedly been filled with books that she bought, but she couldn't carry it back to the hotel herself. I don't know if they worked at the bookstore or if they were just being nice guys and helping her carry this box, which may be too heavy or awkward to carry. I should mention that I've never seen photos or videos of this box and no one in the hotel staff has ever mentioned them. Interesting. They said the day she disappeared, she was alone. My stomach. I just is so sad. This is where it gets really weird. So get ready. The last bookstore's domain contains a postal code in its registration that reads V5G space 4s2 when you plug that code into the google map search bar this postal code doesn't lead to the bookstore it leads directly to a specific location in forest lawn funeral home and memorial park in canada where elisa lamb's grave is what yeah Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Now, I double-checked this information myself, and it creeped me the fuck out. Because it's real. It's real. What in the hell? Now, after these interactions, at an unknown time of that day in particular, Elisa Lamb disappeared. Now, as I said earlier, she was consistent in keeping daily contact with her parents back home. Well, they immediately grew concerned when they didn't hear from their daughter on February 1st. So usually the calls between them were pretty good. She never once indicated that she was having any problems at all besides fatigue from traveling around. She sounded excited on the phone, happy to be out on her own and seeing the sights. So for that to just suddenly stop, how could you not be worried that something is wrong? Right, right. So they waited by the phone, and when their concern turned into fear and panic they ended up flying to la from canada to go find her that's what you do though that's what you do so yena and david lamb reached out to the lapd to report their daughter as missing on february 4th and i don't know if this is what sparked the lapd to call the hotel or if her parents called the hotel but hotel staff noticed that she was due to check out but she was nowhere to be seen and her belongings were still in her room Now, the LAPD, familiar with the ongoing incidents at this particular hotel, they took this case very seriously and searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could. They used dogs throughout what they could search of the hotel, both inside the building, checking unoccupied rooms, shared common areas, in the basement, and on the roof. 
According to official records, the dogs never alerted. They weren't able to detect her scent at all. Although some sources claim that the dogs detected her scent near the fire escape. And looking at the deposition of Detective Tunnell, he testified that they found nothing. Now, could you imagine being one of those officers looking for this girl, only to find out later that you literally walked right by her body and never knew she was there? I could not imagine. I wouldn't know how to process that. I wouldn't either. It would fuck me up. It would fuck me up knowing that I had walked past a dead person's body, a a person that I'm looking for. That would fuck me up entirely. But the police obviously can't check every single room. Uh, From what I understand, they did knock on people's rooms and ask to check. And it wasn't like they were looking in drawers or anything like that. They specifically said they were looking in places you could hide a body. Right. They can't check every single room. They can only do that if they have probable cause to believe a crime has taken place and or a search warrant, right? Right. But they did check all the unoccupied rooms and Lamb's room. In her room, they found her wallet, ID, luggage, medications, and laptop. Unfortunately, nothing provided any leads. They interviewed the receptionist at the hotel, and they remembered her as a polite and reserved young lady. House cleaning staff mentioned that her room was usually kept tidy and neat, but they also noted that they found scattered papers around her room, which was believed to be either journal entries or something related to her travels. Now, confusion sets in as her blog on Tumblr, Nouveau Nouveau, continued to post new content. What? After doing some digging, it was determined that this was not actually her posting, but it was the reblog setting she used on Tumblr, which allowed the user to schedule posts to publish at specific times. So essentially, it's ghost posting because even though you're the one setting it up, the site is basically publishing your post for you. That, okay, that actually makes sense because when you said that, bitch, I came up out of this fucking seat. <laughs> I came up out of this seat. I was like, nope. Nope, that's going to be it. I'm exiting out now. Exiting out now. (laughs) But as you can imagine, this understandably freaked people out because her online presence was still there even though she had vanished. Yeah, that would absolutely just, like, fuck me up. On February 6th, a week after she had last been seen, the LAPD decided to have a press conference because they needed more help and her distressed parents needed answers. Her family was present at this press conference, but they didn't make any comments. Flyers with her image were posted all over the city and online. Radio stations were talking about it and urging people to come forward. The LAPD police bulletin about Elisa Lamb's disappearance mentioned that she was bilingual as she was able to speak English and Cantonese fluently. She used public transportation and was last seen at the Cecil Hotel. They noted that her travel plans were unclear, but she was ultimately headed to Santa Cruz, California. So they hoped that someone would recognize her and come forward with information. And for the most part, the media attention got people talking about what might have happened to her. The biggest question everyone wanted to know at that point was where is she? Social media and forums were flooded with discussions about her. And internet sleuths started combing her public pages and posts, trying to piece together what might have gone down. 
People were analyzing her posts on Tumblr and Blogspot and reaching out to her online friends for clues. Now, the police checked Lamb's phone records at some point during their investigation and found that she had been talking to someone and planned to meet for a date the evening she disappeared. They located the man and interviewed him to get his side of the story, but she never made it to that date. He did have a solid alibi, and he was able to provide an account of his whereabouts, and he was cleared of all suspicion. Gotcha. The surveillance cameras around the hotel were a bit outdated, but they were functioning, and they were positioned to record entrances, exits, and common areas, including the elevators. She was observed entering and exiting the hotel, cheerfully waving at the doorman or greeting him in some way as she passed by. But there was one video of her in particular that went viral across the internet. I think you all know what I'm talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. This gained worldwide interest in her disappearance and has been extensively analyzed and discussed. It was shared and reposted all over by millions of people. And I even specifically remember when this happened because I also shared it. Right, right. She was a missing person. Speculation was on the rise. Everyone was talking about it. On the Chinese video sharing site Yoku, It got 3 million views and 40,000 comments in the first 10 days. Oh, my God. Many of the people who commented stated that it was unsettling to watch. Yeah, because it is. It is. It very much very is. It's really fucking unsettling. I don't like it. I can't say I like it either. So on February 13th, the LAPD released the footage of Lamb in the elevator. They published the infamous four-minute security surveillance footage that was originally captured on February 1st. Her picture on the missing person flyer wasn't enough for someone to come forward, so they were hoping that the public would recognize her if they had seen what she was wearing the last time she was seen. They were absolutely sure that she never left the building since they saw no footage of her exiting the hotel. The video went crazy viral and led to speculations about everything from foul play to ghosts. Because when you look at the video and her behavior, it literally appears as if she's reacting to someone or something messing with her. People also voiced their concerns about how the video appeared to be doctored or edited, which led to even more theories about a potential cover-up by the hotel or the police. The timestamp at the bottom of the video is deliberately jumbled and tampered with. There is also supposedly a brief segment of missing footage of of about 53 seconds, I believe they said. You can clearly see a jump cut between the 2 minute 57 and 2 minute 58 mark. Someone also noted that when they analyzed the footage, they noticed the milliseconds weren't moving correctly and it appeared that the video had been slowed down. The detectives explained, with uncertainty, I will add, that their media relations or other outlets may have altered the video for the public. They maintained that the hotel staff did not edit the original video and that the original footage did not show anything suspicious or noteworthy. They also explained that the video was indeed slowed to some extent so people could get a clear picture of what she looked like because, again, They released this footage in the hopes of someone recognizing her. But the video itself is haunting and unsettling, knowing that this was recorded just before her final moments. I absolutely hate it. 
Lamb exhibited absolutely bizarre and erratic behavior that has had people talking about what happened to her for years, even to this day. I did put a clip of the video in our photo dump so you can take a look at it, but at the start of the video, she walks into the elevator, not seeming to be rushed or stressed. She enters in a normal fashion and bends down to bring the control panel at eye level and proceeds to press a series of buttons. Now she waits for a minute, moves to the back of the elevator before appearing to become frightened or paranoid. She slowly approaches the door and quickly pops her head out, looking both ways to see if there's someone outside the elevator. It's unclear whether or not there's someone there, but she quickly takes a step back into the elevator and proceeds to back herself up against the right wall. She then moves into the corner by the control panel, peering out of the door from the side. And she really appears by her body language that she's trying to make herself seem small and undetectable as if someone was after her. She makes slow movements toward the door and she steps into the doorway, taking another slow step forward, looking around to see if there's anyone there. She was looking around as if she's trying to quietly spot someone nearby and she seems hesitant, but then she makes one of those quick shuffling steps out of the elevator into the hallway as if you were shuffling your feet toward your dog to get them excited. Or maybe in the same fashion, you would do a quick one-two kind of step to scare someone. And then, in almost a choreographed fashion, she takes four steps in a very strange way. And I'm going to do my best to try to explain this to you. She moves one leg out to stand like shoulder width apart, right? And then she brought her legs together, which moves her to the left. Then she does the same to move backwards into the elevator and then forwards into the hallway and then again to the left to stand just outside the door and the whole time she's looking around. Very interesting. Now it looks like a dance almost, like what you would expect to see when someone is deliberately stepping side to side or front to back while they're dancing. Right, right. Standing just out of the view of the camera to the side of the doors, she stands there for a moment and then she appears to grab her head. She then turns and walks back into the elevator, looking confused and bewildered, lowering her hands from her head in a fashion that makes her appear to be disoriented or off balance because she kind of reaches out to use both sides of the elevator door to steady herself as she's walking in. She then bends down in front of the control panel again and proceeds to press multiple buttons at this point, like over and over pressing buttons. She then tucks her hair behind her ears, which I'd like to point out that doing this is a known self-soothing method. She moves back out of the elevator, standing to the side of the doors again, but this time she turns and with her hands open, fingers splayed all the way out like this, like holding her hands all the way open. She begins to act like like she begins to move her arms like she's playing or wading in water. Like, you know, like you see kids do when they're swimming, right? Right, right. She then starts to grab and pull back on one finger at a time like she's talking to someone with an emphasizing hand gesture. And with each finger, she's bending in the knees. Like every time that she grabs a finger and pulls her finger back, she's like bending in the knees. Wow, okay. I know it's hard to describe, but she stands there for a second, grabs her head again, and turns out of the view of the camera. 
Now, right here, I want to point out that if you pay attention to the floor and her feet, many people have raised questions if she truly had someone with her because there is what looks like a foot that can be seen. And the way she turns to her left, it seems completely unnatural for her left foot to be turned in such a manner because it doesn't look like you're seeing the heel of her foot. It looks like you're seeing the toe portion of a foot that steps out of the camera's view after she moves out of the way of the camera. Oh, fuck. Okay. Now, it's quite possible that it was indeed the heel of her foot and she may have turned her foot wrong or misstepped and stumbled, but that's the last time you see her on this video. The elevator door then opens and closes a couple of times on its own. And this is where we see the jump cut because the elevator door doesn't close naturally. You can clearly tell there's a cut in the footage. But the other strange thing to note is that the elevator door stays open the entire time this is going on. It doesn't even move to try to close, which, as we all know, is unnatural for uh, elevators, right? Yeah, it's very strange. Now, many internet sleuths have even timed how long the doors stay open if you press the button to hold the door. And many believe she pressed the hold button, either intentionally or not, when she was pressing buttons. But some also believe that a hotel employee somehow kept the elevator open from a possible remote source or that an unseen person outside pressed a button to hold it. And because of the Cecil's creepy history, some even suggested that spirits manipulated not only her behavior but also the elevators. While investigators were still looking into the disappearance of Elisa Lamb, the guests at the Cecil Hotel began complaining of extremely low water pressure and odd-tasting water that was dark and discolored. Now, according to a few sources, the water appeared to be a dark brown color, but according to other sources, the water was almost black. Oh, fuck, fuck. I don't know about y'all, but if the water ain't clear, I'm not drinking it. No, definitely not. But several people had complained that the water did not taste good at all. So the hotel sent a maintenance man to check things out on February 19th. Santiago Lopez went up to the roof to take a look at the water tanks. Now, these water tanks are a gravity-operated system. The way they work is water is pumped from a main water line that's below street level up to four tanks that are on top of the hotel. Each tank is approximately 10 foot tall and 6 foot in diameter. And apparently, according to other sources, these tanks not only supplied the hotel, like the showers, the sinks, the restaurant, the bar, mm -hmm. but it also went to a coffee shop that was next to the hotel. Oh, man. So the tanks sit on top of a platform on the northern border of the roof, and they're difficult to access. There is what looks like a maintenance room or control room next to the tanks, and there is a set of steps leading up to a door to this part of the building, but next to those steps is a ladder. So you would have to climb the ladder, walk across the top of this room or whatever it is, and then you'd have to basically jump down onto the tank to reach the latch. Now, when Santiago went to investigate the issue with the water, he used a ladder. He didn't climb the ladder on the building and jump onto the tanks, which I think is an interesting thing to bring up 
but I don't think he had anything to do with it. Just because he may not have accessed the tanks this way doesn't mean that Lamb wouldn't have. But he found that the door to the tank was already open. And when he looked inside, he found Elisa Lamb's badly decomposed body floating face up in the water approximately five to six feet from the top of the tank. Holy fucking shit. Now, she had been missing for a total of 19 days, basically three weeks. And even though she was decomposing, Detective Tunnell stated in the deposition that she was still identifiable, like you could look at her and still tell it was her. Oh my God, I couldn't imagine. I literally cannot imagine. So this discovery, as you can imagine, was immediately reported to authorities and health officials immediately placed a do not drink order at the Cecil. There was even more confusion around this discovery because initial reports indicated that the latch on the water tank was closed, not open. This would mean that someone else would have been involved in her disappearance because she wouldn't have been able to close it herself while she was in the tank. Now, a lot of people, including myself, remember this little detail because it was one of the main reasons why so many people were intrigued by the case and why this case stuck with so many people. Now, many people are even claiming that this is some sort of Mandela effect because they specifically remember the latch being closed. Now, discussions on Reddit about this particular piece of the case is hella interesting because like myself, many people remember this latch being closed and also being extremely heavy and unable to be moved by a singular person. I believe at that time someone had said that this tank, like the lid to the tank was so heavy that it had to be moved by at least two to four people. But some people also remember the latch being sealed shut. But this sparks more questions than answers because if that was the case, why would they send one maintenance man to check the tanks if he wasn't even able to open the latch on his own, right? That is a little weird. And if the latch was indeed sealed shut, how would anybody have discovered that there was a body inside? That is true. That's fucking, that's wild. Now, according to Tunnell's deposition, the latch of the tank itself is 18 by 18 in size and weighs around 20 pounds. It's not connected to the tank by hinges. It is basically opened by lifting the lid off of where it is normally seated. Now, Lamb was a small and petite woman. So even though she may have been able to get the latch open, there was no way she'd be able to close the latch herself while treading water inside of a dark tank. Right. And the tank wasn't filled all the way to the top either. So there's no way for her to swim up to the latch because of the water level. There's also speculation that once the maintenance man found the latch open and discovered her body, that he closed the latch, possibly to preserve the scene or out of shock of what he had discovered. Now, unfortunately, this is one aspect of the case that has been misreported, leaving us with nothing but speculation and unanswered questions. Questions such as, if the tank was open and she was dead inside the tank, then how come the dogs didn't alert around the tanks? Yeah, that's something that's weird as fuck too. That doesn't really make sense. Also, I believe that they used cadaver dogs. And guys, these dogs can detect bodies in water up to 30 meters. They can also detect bodies up to 15 feet underground. However, their success rate is anywhere from 55 to 
I just think this is another mystery surrounding the case because if the lid of the tank was open and the dogs were taken up to the roof, how did they not detect where she was, right? Now, I may have found an answer to that when I discovered that the inside of these tanks are often washed with a chlorine solution during maintenance to keep the tanks sanitized. And from what I understand, chlorine can definitely affect scent when it comes to dogs. Oh, that makes sense. Now, I also happened to come across some sources that said the dogs detected her scent around the window to the fire escape. But this is another tidbit that basically went nowhere. So let's talk about how she would have even gotten up to the roof, right? According to Amy Price's deposition, the roof is completely restricted to hotel guests and they don't allow access to the roof even if you request to go up there for any reason. They have a strict policy put in place that no guest should be on the roof for any reason whatsoever. There are four ways to access the roof. Three of these are by exterior fire escapes on the sides of the building, and the fourth access is by a staircase on the 15th floor, 14th, 15th floor, that leads to a door that goes to the roof. And this door is always locked. Only the hotel staff has the passcodes and the keys. And it also has a very loud alarm when it's opened. Now, if this alarm goes off, it can be heard on the top two floors of the building. And it also sets off an alarm at the front desk. And it can only be turned off with a key that is kept with the hotel's maintenance staff. Now, in the event that it should go off, it's their policy that an employee or security guard is immediately dispatched to go manually check the roof and the door. Well, the alarm never went off at any time during Lamb's stay. Since the dog seemed to pick up her scent around the fire escape window, they believe that she used one of the exterior fire escapes to get to the roof. Now, these fire escapes can be accessed from the hotel's corridors. Now, by my understanding, there are emergency windows at the end of the hallways, and you cannot access these escapes through the window of your room, basically. There has also been no mention on whether or not an alarm goes off when these fire escapes are opened. There has also been no mention on whether or not an alarm goes off when these fire escapes are accessed, but it's an old building. Right. They never specified. I am inclined to say they probably don't. Okay, now let's discuss the state she was found in, how they removed her from the tank, and her autopsy because I did find the autopsy report. Lamb was found naked, floating amongst her clothes. They also found her watch and her room key in the tank with her. Her body was moderately decomposed and bloated, with a mostly greenish color that also showed signs of marbling on her abdomen and skin separation or skin slippage. Her body and clothes were also coated in a sand and small whitish and fragile flecks of what they described as an unknown material. They also found several dark hairs or fibers that were several inches in length on some of her clothes. But if they tested what it was, they haven't released those findings because most sources don't even mention this and the ones that do mention it and have no idea what it was that was all over her body and her clothes. That is wild. 
It is important to note that there was no evidence on her body whatsoever that suggested any physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. My brain. Now, before I move forward, I do want to mention that someone brought this up, but apparently the sand found on her body was the same kind of sand found on the roof, and it's believed that she was raped on the roof. But unless you were actually there, we we can't just make that assumption. Um, right, right. Sand is a motherfucker, okay? <laughs> it gets everywhere. It gets into everything. And even though it's used in some filtration methods as well, there is a possibility that the main water line could have sand particles in it. There is literally no explanation about the sand itself and how it ended up on her body. The police nor the coroner made any connection that correlated with this possibility of her being raped as well. So there's that. Firefighters and police gently removed her body from the tank by draining the tank and cutting a hole in the side near the bottom. They were worried that her body would come apart on its own if they used any other method. Oh my goodness, man, this is fucking sad. As much as it is creepy and like fucking wild and weird, it is sad. Her autopsy was conducted at the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office by Dr. Yulai Wang and her assistant, Jason Tover. Her toxicology test showed limited traces of her prescription medication that they matched and confirmed with her pill bottles they found in her belongings. They also found non-prescription, over-the-counter drugs such as Sinutab and ibuprofen in her system. According to one source, she had a very small amount of alcohol in her system, which according to them, was 0.02, but I don't personally believe that to be true because even her closest friends and her family knew that she never smoked or drank or did drugs. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, when compared to the autopsy report, there was no level of intoxication, period. They never mentioned any type of intoxication. They didn't even find any evidence whatsoever of substance abuse at all. Investigators and experts have reported that the concentration of prescription drugs in her system and the count of pills in her prescription bottles indicated that she was under-medicating or had completely stopped taking her medications recently. They concluded that she drowned due to the water and the secretions in her lungs, and it was determined that she had taken only one of her antidepressants. She was on two of them and an antipsychotic medication, so even though she took the antidepressant, she did not take her antipsychotic med. A lot of sources state that this is very dangerous and can have adverse effects that lead to manic and psychotic episodes. Now, I do want to point out that I am also bipolar. I also didn't keep up with my medications and can confirm this to be true. I not only experienced hallucinations, but I also experienced manic episodes and unstable behavior. So this is a hundred percent true. Now the autopsy report and its conclusions were also questioned and under fire based on incomplete information and the autopsy itself wasn't able to be fully completed because of how decomposed she was. As an example, the report does say that they collected a rape kit and fingernail kit, but it doesn't say what the results of these tests were or if they were even processed. But let's be real. Three weeks in water and the decomp factor 
is going to rule a lot of those tests as inconclusive. Right, right. It also mentions subcutaneous pooling of blood in her anus and that it was prolapsed, which some people suggested was a sign of sexual abuse. Oh, my God. But one pathologist noted that this can also have resulted from the bloating that takes place in the body's decomposition. Now, many stated that the coroner's pathologist appeared to have mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about their conclusion that her death was accidental. Personally, I read through the entire report, and during an autopsy, they literally dissect your body. Mm -hmm. They noted that there was no damage or signs of any sexual trauma to the mouth, vagina, uterus, or anus, and everything appeared normal despite the process of decomposition. Now, it's only natural and logical to concur with the findings that while her body was bloating, the organs are going to move or explode from pressure buildup. Right. Now, this is going to seem like a weird thing to bring up right now, but I watch a lot of videos about lions and, like, animal kingdoms and different parts of the world. <laughs> yeah, you do. That being said, there's a video of a lion chewing on a bloated hippo, and the intestines basically burst open, and it begins to expel everything in the intestines, and it scares the lions off, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because of the pressure that's inside the body. And with the way that everyone's body reacts differently to things, it's not so far-fetched to think that during the decomp stage that the bloating pressure forced her anus to prolapse god fuck 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 now fuck. now i know talking about prolapsed anus is a lot on this show but it's a very important thing to cover especially with this case because that is a factor that many believe that she was raped right right now after lamb's body was found the police weren't able to provide an explanation as to how she may have ended up on the roof or in the tank. No one knows how this happened, not even the police. Because of the location of her body, Detective Tunnell and his partner, Detective Stearns, thought of foul play and even ran through a scenario of what if she was murdered. And he stated in his deposition that it was physically impossible for someone to have killed her possibly transported her up these fire escapes mm -hmm. and dumped her into the tank without leaving behind any type of physical evidence, DNA, or fingerprints. Like, they found absolutely nothing that suggested foul play. This is fucking crazy. Like, I've been quiet through majority of this episode, mainly trying to just, like, digest all of the... It's a lot. I'm trying to, like, digest all of the details, trying to make sense... Of everything. Um, but th this is crazy. Right. This is absolutely crazy. There is not one thing like, and I know we're not done with the episode by any means, but I can't think of a reason in my mind how this woman just somehow was in an elevator. And then next thing you know, she's just magically dead floating in a water tank, a 10 foot water tank. Right. That makes no sense. Like, I I cannot make sense out of any of this. This is truly one of the most wild stories that I've ever learned about. Like, this is crazy. On February 21st, 2013, the initial autopsy report was released, but the cause of death was not released on this date because they needed to wait for further testing to be completed 
and the cause of death was considered inconclusive at the time. Later, on June 20th, the coroner's office released their final report stating that this was an accidental drowning with her bipolar disorder being a significant condition because the test results revealed that she was either not taking her medication or not taking enough of it, which resulted in her experiencing psychosis. So they're basically saying with that notion that from what they could see, her not taking her medication regularly basically caused her to have a psychotic episode. And in that episode of psychosis, she put herself in that tank. Yes. And see, I'm not a mental health expert. I'm definitely not. I will never claim to be. I definitely have mental illness of a multitude. <laughs> right? I, I have extremely bad anxiety um, amongst other things. I, I've never been clinically diagnosed with bipolar, so I'm not going to speak on that. Oh, boy, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I don't know. This is difficult. And I'm I'm struggling trying to figure out, like, how I want to say this, because I'm not trying to discredit the science behind this, you know, with what you validated that not taking your meds regularly with something like this can cause you to literally go into psychosis, yes. which psychosis is very extreme, extremely extreme. I'm not trying to discount that, and I'm not saying that I don't see that as a possibility, but at the same time, I can't wrap my brain around how she got herself into a 10-foot water tank. Right. By herself. Right. And then, like, I just don't know. I don't know. Man, I don't know. This one fucking will, will make you think. Exactly. Because I just, ugh. Okay, I'm just going to let you do your thing. Do your so, thing. So, um, they basically believed that she had a psychotic episode, which unfortunately resulted in her death. And investigators and experts believe that she was experiencing this episode before or around the time she appeared in the elevator. Right. Uh, she climbed the fire escape, got to the roof, climbed the water tower by, like, climbing the ladder, going across the roof and dropping down. Or at least that's that's what they're believing happened. That's that's what I see because I looked at the photo of the water tank and I'll include that. But, like, you can you can see the ladder going up the side of the building and then how you would get onto the tank if, you know. Right. That's um, just fucking crazy. But, uh, yeah, they believe she got to the roof, that she climbed the water tower and either fell inside the tank or climbed inside willingly. And unable to get herself back out and forced to tread water, she ultimately drowned because she couldn't get out. Now, the police never explained why they thought she was naked. But others and myself believe that she was experiencing some form of hypothermia. Now, when you're in active hypothermia, you will get so cold that your body will begin to feel the sensation of being hot. And you'll undress. Right. What's paradoxical undressing? Right. So mix that with the fact that treading water in your clothes is not only uncomfortable, but it's also heavy and restricting. Right. And I also, I'm so sorry. Let me say too, I'm so proud of myself for remembering that term. Yes. Paradoxical undressing. Do you know where I remembered it from? Or how I learned that term? I know we covered it in Love Pass. I learned it from your Love Pass episode. Yeah. That I literally had to go in the, the file cabinet of my brain and I just pulled Whoop. that up. But yeah. <laughs> but, um, but not many people talk about the fact that people who are experiencing psychosis will remove their clothes for different reasons. As an example, 
Some people related with others online in forums discussing psychosis and mental health, and a lot of them ended up with the same thought or belief that they had already died and thought the only way to return to heaven was by basically leaving the same way you came into this world, which Without is naked. clothes, yeah. right. That is, oh man, I'm not saying people experiencing this is crazy. Let me not say that. You know, we're not shaming anyone here. I'm just saying but that. But the fact that multiple people come to the same conclusion is kind of crazy. It sounds fucking intense and just insane. Like, I'm trying to put myself in the place of, like, experiencing something that, mm-hmm. like, extreme. And, like, I can't. It's wild. So the simple fact is, is that we still don't fully understand how mental illness and psychosis works or affects the brain. We have a good grasp on mental illness and symptoms of the different mental illnesses, but we do not fully understand why or how the undressing happens. Right. Um, so on September 20th, 2013, Yena and David Lamb sued the hotel for negligence and wrongful death at the Los Angeles Superior Court against Cecil Hotel Management Incorporated. They were seeking unspecified damages as well as compensation for burial costs. They claimed the Cecil Hotel operators had an obligation to make the premises safe for their daughter and, quote, inspect and seek out hazards in the hotel that presented an unreasonable risk of danger to Lamb and other hotel guests, end quote. The defense pointed out that there was no cameras on the roof and there was no proof that the alarm was functioning properly to alert that someone gained access to the roof. So also saying that she could have used the door if that alarm was not working properly. Oh, she could have. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But, but it's always locked with passcodes and a key. So that doesn't make sense. Yeah. That, that's another thing too. I kind of thought that, that I see it very unlikely that hotel staff would literally leave the door to their roof just like unlocked. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that shit like that doesn't happen because, you know, clearly, I mean, it does. Shit goes awry sometimes, but it just seems very unlikely. But, I mean, you mean to tell me in a very busy area of L.A. with loads of people around, no one noticed a woman climbing the fire escape outside the building to the roof? That's a that's another thing, too, that I thought about when you said that she literally climbed this ladder up this building to get to this water tank. How the fuck did no one see her? Right. Like, how in the fuck did no one see her? That is another good question. I wanted to say that earlier, but I kind of was like, I'm going to keep that to myself for a second (laughs) because I don't really know. But that's a good point. How did no one see her? So the prosecutors, in turn, said Lamb herself and the parents were negligent, which... What? Wow, buddy. Like, that's fucked to say to a family that lost their daughter under some really fucked up circumstances. But that the, is, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, we can, uh, yeah. I'm yeah. just, yeah. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna like unleash on that. That just um, blows I, my fucking mind. I tried mind. to find more information on that, but I think, now I'm not certain on this, don't quote me on this, but I think they were trying to basically say that with her having mental illness and being open, that it was her fault. That it was her fault. That the, wow. pa- the parents, okay. they were, I guess they were trying to say that the parents were negligent in letting her travel by herself and she was negligent in not taking her medications and, you know, things like that. So the judge ruled in 2015 that lamb getting into the water tanks was an unforeseeable accident and the hotel was not liable. Now, Stephen and Gloria Cott sued the hotel as well. They were guests of the hotel during the time that lamb was missing 
and they were unfortunate participants in using the water that came from that tank to not only bathe in, but to also do things like brushing their teeth or drinking a glass of water. Oh, God. Uh, God, God, God. uh, God. The lawsuit claims that the hotel effectively contracted with its guests to provide water, quote, fit for human ingestion and human consumption through showering, which was an obligation that the Cots allege the hotel did not meet as the water was contaminated by human remains. Jesus. Jesus. Now, in their lawsuit, the Cots asked for a refund of the $150 they paid to stay two nights at the hotel. They were also seeking medical costs of $100 and possibly more if needed. Court and attorney fees and, quote, any further relief as this court may deem just and proper, end quote. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, new guests continued to check into the Cecil just hours after the firefighters removed Lamb's body from the water tank. The Los Angeles Public Health Department immediately tested the water supply, but told the manager they could stay open as long as they provided bottled water and warned the guests not to drink the tap water. But each new guest was asked to sign a waiver, releasing the hotel from liability if they were to become ill. The hotel's release said, quote, you do so at your own risk and peril, end quote. (laughs) Okay, Cecil. Right. Okay. Guests who already paid for their rooms before this discovery weren't offered refunds if they moved out. Yeah. Okay, Cecil. Now, according to Angelo Belomo, who is the director of environmental health for the Los Angeles Public Health Department, said the results of the test showed no harmful bacteria in the tank or the pipes, and also commented that the chlorine in the city's water may be the reason it is safe. Like, my guy. The water was dark. That's what I'm saying. That's just no. There was a decomposing body in the water supply, and you expect people to believe that chlorine is going to somehow... just magically fix that. Right. I don't trust that at all. No, definitely not. Today, Elisa Lamb's case is closed and considered by police to be an accidental death as she rests at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Burnaby, Canada. Her death has been the topic of many conspiracy theories, and the popularity of her case is heavily associated with the release of the elevator video. So I'm going to cover some of these theories, and we can speculate together. Now, many people believe that she may have been murdered. One theory that really gained a lot of traction was that a metal musician that goes by the name Morbid, his real name is Pablo Vergara, And he was a founding member of his band and would sometimes paint his face in scary or dark makeup. Which, I mean, we we love that with our metal musicians, don't we? Yes, yes, definitely. So I'm all for the black makeup and metal. Well, he uploaded a video of himself inside a room at the Cecil Hotel just a couple of days after Lamb's body was discovered. In that video was a teaser for a new music video called Died in Pain, which had lyrics supposedly referencing a woman drowning in water. So the online sleuths believe that this was too much of a coincidence. That is fucking wild. (laughs) Well, um, I looked up those lyrics, and either they changed the lyrics or people have lost their fucking minds because... Because the song itself has absolutely no references to anything related to her at all. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, we've talked about this on other episodes, too. Um, 
I believe it was in the Elise Pollard episode, but, you know, we actually like metal music and people can think whatever, but, you know, sometimes you do have a little more darker dealing with death and like that kind of thing. That's a theme that you find in metal music. So that's not inherently weird. Especially not to me, because, I mean, for fuck's sake, I sure do love my hollering music. I'm telling you. (laughs) Now, people somehow got it in their minds that he was tied to Lamb's death, and it was a huge mess. He wasn't there at the time of her death. As this video was recorded a whole year prior at the hotel. A whole year prior? So the allegations against Morbid became so intense... He released a video at the time explaining that he was innocent, insisting that he had been in Mexico recording an album at the time she went missing, which was true. Now, years later, he told Netflix documentary makers that he had suffered his own mental health issues as a result of the accusations. He said, quote, I received death threats every day. There was no escape. I tried to take my life, and I woke up in a psychiatric hospital, end quote. Son of a bitch, man. So when this conspiracy was debunked, people began to wonder if someone planted this story, what the actual truth was, and was this a cover-up? So then people started to look at the security and the hotel staff working there. Someone would have access to disable the alarm, edit the footage, and ultimately, they knew the water tanks were on the roof. It's also believed that the hotel may have edited the footage to protect themselves and their staff. Now, many people have asked, how would she even know to go to the roof? Like, how would she even know that the water towers were even there? But in my own opinion, I answer that with, she didn't know. Which brings us to our next theory, and this is one I tend to believe a little more. Her sister noted how paranoid her sister was, and Lamb was posting on her Tumblr about creepers, and many have said that she basically alluded that she felt she was being followed. But this can also be explained by the paranoia you can experience while in psychosis, and the behavior she exhibited in the elevator shows actions of actively trying to hide or be unseen. So it's believed that she got to the roof and tried to use the water tanks as a place to hide, But then she couldn't get back out, which resulted in her death. This is wild. I know. I'm like, I'm just, I have been beside my fucking self. Beside (laughs) myself. Beside myself. Beside myself and my asshole. Goodness gracious. So the next theory is regarding the graffiti that was found near the tanks, which also goes along with the murder theory. The graffiti on the roof near the water tank is written in Latin which loosely translates to, yeah, she was a cunt. (laughs) Now, I've seen a lot of people bring this up online, and it too has been debunked and determined that this has nothing to do with Lamb's death and everything to do with somebody obviously being a cunt. (laughs) I don't know why that sent me so bad, but you're right. I was about to say that just sounds like you're normal everyday graffiti really i mean good god some of the shit that you just see in restrooms down here i'm I'm telling you is just insane like way worse than that you know what i'm saying like like someone said that this graffiti referenced her tumblr but i don't see the connection at all yeah me neither me neither 
So the next theory is that the elevator video shows she had used drugs and the people saying this are not convinced by the absence of any drugs other than her prescriptions in the toxicology report. Uh, they also don't seem to take her family's word, her family and her friend's word, that uh, she did not abuse drugs, she didn't drink, she didn't smoke. Basically, people are suggesting that these drugs might have broken down during decomp or that she might have taken some sort of cocktail of drugs that a normal screen wouldn't detect. But this seems so far-fetched to me, considering the test was completed and the coroners and pathologists that regularly do autopsies are more than likely going to test for every drug known to man. Not to mention, they were able to identify what specific medications she was on just by testing her body. Right, so they if there were traces of anything else, they would have found that. I mean, exactly. People don't seem to think that a cocktail of multiple drugs can't be dissected and identified. But a lot of people have also been talking about the fact that her phone was nowhere to be found. She posted on her Tumblr page that during her visit to a speakeasy, she lost the phone. And it wasn't even her phone. She had borrowed like this old Blackberry off of one of her friends to use. It's also possible being in an area notorious for crime that someone could have stolen her phone. Right, right, right. Either way, it happens unfortunately and it sucks. But as I explained earlier, her posts on Tumblr after her disappearance were due to Tumblr's ability to queue posts and not because a killer was updating her Tumblr after murdering her. Like I don't I don't see I don't see why a killer would do that. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. To I'm going to kill either. you and then I'm going to take over your online personality. <laughs> I, I just. That doesn't, it doesn't sound right to right. me either. Another theory, and here's where it goes completely rogue. It goes completely left field. Uh, they suggest that she was a test subject for some kind of new tuberculosis medication. A website called Ghost Theory speculated that the odd behaviors she exhibited could be linked to the side effects of an anti-TB medicine. As I stated earlier, she was a student at the University of British Columbia, which also houses a well-known tuberculosis research center. The theory suggests that she knew too much and was silenced. What? Even stranger, in February of 2013, after her body had been discovered, there was an outbreak of tuberculosis on Skid Row. Really? Even stranger, Lamb Elisa is the actual name of the TB test. What? Now, I know I'm going to fucking butcher this, but it stands for lipoarabinomam. Arabinomam. <laughs> Arabinomam. <laughs> Okay, I got to break this down into, into small parts. Lipo Arabino Manan, or LAM, enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay. ELISA. Yeah, very weird. Very weird coincidence, but they That did, is fucking wild. They did not detect any anti-TB medication or actual tuberculosis in her system. But that is weird as fuck. That is very fucking weird. Like, out of all the names that test can have. Right. That is... Look at, look at the... I'm actually going to show you. Like, that's, that's how it correlates. That is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Oh, that's weird. It's weird. Okay. Now, 
Here's a theory that I thought about for quite some time, but I didn't know much about it until I researched it. And that's the theory that she was playing the Korean elevator game that is supposed to take you to another dimension. Mm-hmm. I know about that game. We or talked I've, to, I've read about it. Yeah, we talked about that. But for anybody who doesn't know what this is, these are basically the rules. You find a building with at least 10 floors. Make sure to be alone and that no one else joins you throughout this process. Otherwise, you have to start over. Press the button to get out on the fourth floor. Don't get out. Then go to the second floor, sixth floor, second floor, and then 10th floor. Do not get out on any of these floors. Then you're going to go to the fifth floor, and there's a young woman that could come into the elevator with you, but do not speak or look at her, even though she may look familiar to you. Fuck that. Right. See, me? Games I like. Sorry. (laughs) Go fish. (laughs) Rummy. Yahtzee, games I'm not fucking playing? <laughs> this. Who in the fuck wants to play a game So where a spirit comes into this elevator? And, like, why? who the fuck thinks this is fun? I, I would love to know. I'm telling you, but, like, don't, don't speak or look at her, even though she may look familiar, right? And then you're going to press the first floor. And if you press to go to the first floor, but the elevator goes to the tenth floor, remain on the elevator. You're still in the game. If you press to go to the first floor, but the elevator goes to the first floor, then exit the moment the doors open. Do not speak or look back. Once you reach the 10th floor, you can choose to get off or stay. If you choose to get off, the woman from step four may ask you a question and even call your name. Do not answer her. Fuck that. Y'all are wild. (laughs) Wild. I am playing Yahtzee. And at now, home. now according to this, you have reached the other world. And to know for sure, the sign is that you are the only one there. Fuck this. Now, supposedly, how you return from this other world is you return to the exact elevator you came from and press the same order of buttons mentioned before, finishing at the fifth floor. Could you imagine if you couldn't remember? Like I have the memory, I have the memory of a fucking goldfish. I would be lost, my guy. I would be in the back rooms. I was sitting over here thinking, like, who the fuck is gonna remember all of these? Right. Just play Yahtzee. <laughs> so once you're at the fifth floor, press the button for the first floor. However, this will cause the elevator to go to the tenth floor. So. You must press any other floor button to stop it from going to the 10th floor before reaching the 10th floor. Once you're on the first floor, make sure everything around you is all right. If something is not normal, remain in the elevator and repeat step two. Now, it's something interesting to think about, but here's why this couldn't be the case, right? She wasn't riding the elevator to multiple floors. She only spoke English and Cantonese, and at the time, the rules for the game were only found on a Korean website in the Korean language. So that alone solidifies she was not playing the elevator game. Yeah, I would say even the most compelling evidence, she's literally not going to multiple floors doing all these crazy steps. That just doesn't seem likely. And if you want to play the elevator game, bitch, don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Why would you tempt your life? Why would you Why would you play with things? Uh, no. 
No. No. I'm still wondering how the fuck, like, this is a game? This is a game. You bitches think this is fun? I mean, it's like the Bloody Mary game, basically. Still, y'all think that's fun too? No. (laughs) No, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. So there's also a theory that this could be the work of a copycat killer because what happened to Lamb also happens to be the plot of the 2005 film Dark Water in which a girl's body is discovered in a water tank on the roof of an apartment building. And although I don't believe that she was murdered, especially after researching this, but even I find that absolutely creepy. Yeah, that's weird. Because the movie came out before she lost her life. That is, yeah, that's, Now, another theory is that the dark entities inhabiting the hotel either influenced her or possessed her, causing the strange behavior and leading her to suicide in an unexplained manner. I do believe she probably felt that someone was watching her, which fueled her paranoia. Because when you're in a haunted location, like, you feel like somebody's looking at you. Right, right. Now, we are talking about a haunted location, and I do believe in ghosts, but I feel in this situation that this is not the case because... She clearly acted and talked like she had every intention to return home. Like, you know, we've discussed about the buying the books and the killing yourself and stuff like that earlier. But she wouldn't have bothered to even keep in contact with her family either or to update a Tumblr for that matter if she was going to kill herself. Which, again, it's hard for me to say because as much as I agree with that, I also kind of don't simply because of what you stated earlier what i stated earlier some people that are highly functioning carrying on their life and their plans no one would no one ever suspected right that anything was wrong until something happened right and these people can show no signs of stopping their life in any way it's normal routine and then bam right so that's not very I'm not trying to completely invalidate like what you said, but I just don't see that as an accurate way to look at it because she very much could have set her Tumblr post, bought her books, talked to her family and still had every intention to do what she did. You know what I'm You're saying? Right. Like yeah. some people can it just happens like that. It's very sad and it's very heartbreaking and you know it's hard to to wrap our minds around how someone could do that, but I mean it happens. It happens. Now, this last theory that I want to cover is her missing glasses. Oh. This is the only part that really bugs the shit out of me about this case. There's no mention of her glasses being found in the room or in the tank. She's clearly not wearing them in the video. I couldn't find any answers on this at all. And many people aren't talking about it. Did she lose them? If she was somehow murdered, did the murderer take them as a trophy? No one literally knows and there's an endless sea of answers that could possibly explain that like that could be anything it could be anything oh goodness so so i have some thoughts to share as we close out this episode okay now while the theories try to help explain some of the what ifs in her case at the heart of this is a woman who is tragically suffering with mental illness and lost her life due to this battle Yina and David lost their daughter in a horrific way, and although many people feel they're doing the right thing by theorizing about her death and what might have happened, because we can all agree that some of these theories are outlandish and unrealistic considering the situation, Right. but people need to know when to question and when to accept 
because refusing to acknowledge certain facts to fit their narrative is not helping the family at all. And first and foremost, respect should always be given to the victim and the family. Absolutely. The fact of the matter is that there is a stigma that comes with being mentally ill, and many people refuse to acknowledge that mental illness is serious and can make you act, speak, or think in a manner that is unsettling. Mental illness can lead to death in numerous ways. It literally claims a victim every single day. It's good that people want to get to the absolute truth of the matter. It's okay to ask questions. Maybe you could help catch something that others hadn't. But if you're going to look into someone's case, please do it respectfully and don't automatically assume things. The only person that knows what happened to Elisa Lamb is Elisa Lamb. Right. And unfortunately, she's not able to speak for herself. This case, in my opinion, should be used to highlight the importance of bringing awareness to understanding bipolar disorder, the pros and cons involved with bipolar medication, and destigmatizing these mental conditions as a whole. When I got my diagnosis, I was terrified because I just wanted a normal brain like everyone else. I was scared the medication would change who I am as a person, and I had gone my entire life not even knowing that I had it. I had to reflect and understand that a lot of the things I experienced in my life, like my reactions to things and problems I experienced, were because of this mental illness that I had no knowledge of other than knowing it existed. So I sympathize with Lamb and her family because I know how scary it was for me and my family. Mental illness is a serious topic. It is not a trend. That being said, I think it's time for people, including myself, because I theorized right along with everyone else. But it's time to accept that yes, this is a strange case, and no, we do not have all the answers. But we need to accept that she ultimately died as a result of psychosis that impaired her ability to think clearly in an environment that was not familiar to her and no one present to assist her or keep her safe during that episode. My heart goes out to Yina and David and Sarah as well. I send my love and condolences and hope they are able to one day find peace. And that concludes... My coverage of Elisa Lamb. This is fucking wild. This is wild. Like, this is truly... Like, because I know we haven't really explored too many cases in the realm of, like, unsolved mysteries. Like, we, we haven't done a whole lot of that. But I can say that this is the first one that even at the end of the episode, I truly don't know what to make of this. Right. I don't have an opinion. There were other theories as well stating that um had something to do with Satanism and that Aleister Crowley had actually predicted this somehow and had written a poem about it or whatever. There's, there's like there's no telling. There's Satanists, there's ghosts, there's this, there's that. Like there's literally so many theories that it will make your head spin. So I say that if you're going to sit down and digest any of these theories, just keep your head screwed on about you. I just, I think it's crazy because, like, with everything compiled, like, A, the the factual stuff, like, the, the base fact of what she was doing, you know, her being in the elevator before she disappeared, her being found, little to no evidence, forensic evidence being left behind that would explain anything. Right. All of these things combined, I don't really have an opinion because I don't know. I still 
like my thought from earlier is still with me in terms of I just don't know how this woman got herself on the roof of a 15 story or 10 or 15 stories. I think it's it's, it's like 15 story building. Regardless how she got herself on top of this building, climbing a ladder up through fire escapes, up through whatever, up and up uh, up to these 10 foot water tanks. That's just fucking crazy. I have no explanation for that. I have no explanation how she got there with nothing being left behind, nothing that would explain anything. And then, of course, what you said about her mental illness and problems she could have had not taking her medication regularly. Like, could this really be a case of psychosis that ended horrifically? Ultimately, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I'm probably going to be thinking about this for a very long time to come because it's wild. I, I wish I had more to say in terms of I think this or I think that, but I genuinely don't know. My mind is just fucking blown. I do also want to attach the small notion that people only see schizophrenics as the only people that experience hallucinations or psychosis. And that's definitely not true. That is... That is the farthest from the truth i i know from experience (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i just i don't know about y'all but i'm just like scratching my head super hard i know this is kind of a anti-climatic outro i feel like just because i'm so stumped i'm literally just so stumped like i have like this is truly one of the most wild also heartbreaking stories that i've ever heard and our entire gore report career. <laughs> so, so you could you could definitely understand why I wanted this to be a things that keep me up at night episode, but at the same time, I just felt it was disrespectful. No, I um, I, def- I definitely feel that because the, the this I think this definitely fits more in the category of our usual content. I just man, I genuinely wish I knew what to say, but I don't. Like I just my brain is so stumped. Uh, to all of you listening. We always invite conversation and we always invite you guys to message us or comment on our socials. Uh, Let us know what you think. We love hearing feedback from all of you. That's about the best that I can put right here. Maybe some of you guys can comment your two cents. We can exchange some ideas. You know, I would love to hear what other people think about this. I just, I truly don't know. Like, I in right conscience cannot sit here on a podcast that thousands of people are listening to it and be like oh yeah so this happened or i think i just don't know i literally don't know i don't feel secure enough in any theory yeah to like make that assumption for me to actually say that i think this happened or that didn't happen so i think that's where i kind of just want to leave off i would just love to hear what you all have to say about it maybe someone out there has some insight that maybe we don't have yeah I would just love to hear some ideas. I don't know. Ultimately, my heart breaks for this woman and her family. And I just, I don't know. Like, what do you do with this? So, uh, yeah. Again, don't know what to do with any of this. This is fucking wild. I would honestly just rather play Yahtzee. Than Yahtzee? Any, than any other kind of, like, <laughs> elevator game, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, I don't fuck really that game. Know. Fuck I don't that really game. <laughs> know. I just know that my head hurts. My brain is mushy. I have no idea what to make of this. So I'm going to leave off on that note and say, if you would like to follow Ray and I and all of our well, great news. You can totally do that. You can find us on Facebook at Gore Report. 
a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Ghoul Report Podcast. You can find us on Patreon. www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Or if you just want to drop a line, request a case, tell us that we're weird, you know, whatever you feel like doing, <clears throat> you can email us at goreportpod at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, that's that, that's about it on this one. I'm ready just to go. My brain hurts. My brain hurts really bad. Yeah. Yeah, my brain, my brain. Yeah, I feel that. My brain is definitely brain. You ready to go eat some mashed potatoes and stuff? Oh, my God. Can we? Absolutely. It's waiting for us right now. Okay, bye guys. And until next time. Bye. Uh, fuck the elevator game. I'm playing Yahtzee. Are you afraid? You should be.